Breaking the stigma of addiction. This is Zach's life, a story of love, addiction, loss, grief, and recovery. Reflecting on Zachary Horton and others in our community, both, both inside and outside of their addiction. addiction. Hosted by Jim Horton of the Zachary Horton Foundation. Hello, everyone. I want to uh, introduce our guest today. This is uh, my friend Dustin. Uh, I met Dustin skiing a couple years ago. He's he's becoming a good friend, and so I'm I'm glad to have him here. I I had an opportunity, I think a couple weeks ago. I I I, sp- I spoke uh, to a group. Um, you know, I think just about about Zach's story, and and we were talking uh, at that time a a little bit about. Uh, uh, Narcan and 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 uh, the fentanyl crisis and and you know just just how powerful that can be in 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 saving lives and and uh, along that discussion too I I had mentioned um, that that our foundation is about breaking the stigma of addiction and that somehow reson it resonated with you and 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 you spoke to me afterwards and and offered to come in and 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 talk sometime and so. Uh, Anyway, I'm just I'm I'm so happy to have you here, and and after hearing your story today, and and seeing really where your heart is, and uh, uh, it uh, anyway, it's just wonderful, and I can't I can't wait to to get into our conversation today. So, you know, as we start out, Dustin, just to, you know, tell us a little bit as much as you want to about about yourself, uh, about your story, and and we'll just kind of take it from there. All right. Um, well, thank you for having me here. Uh, yeah, after hearing you share, you know, what the foundation is about and what your family's been through and uh, the message that you're trying to get across on your podcast about the stigma of addiction. Um, yeah, it definitely spoke to me. I thought maybe I could help or I could get involved somehow. Um, you want to just get into the story? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, I personally, I've experienced addiction myself, as I, I just got through telling you. I'm a um, multi-user. Uh, you know, I went through phases. I was addicted to opiates, though, like Zach, uh, for about five years. I did meth for like five years, and then I was just drinking a lot for so, like 10 years. <laughs> so so what I hear is you were no quitter. <laughs> no, well, yeah, I was good at quitting. One thing, as long as I had something else to, 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 to sure, take its place, sure. you know, it was a typical cross-addiction story. Um, but I was a father at a young age, so, and I wanted to be a good dad, so I would, I would put myself in rehab. Um, I started when I was 18 because I had a baby on the way. Um, I, I volunteered to go to rehab and, uh, I did that over and over for um, probably 15 years, 20, almost 20 years, where I would just put myself in rehab because it was the only way I knew to to stop killing wow. myself. Wow. So, 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 so let's back up just a little bit. So at at 18, you're going to be a new father. Mm-hmm. I was a senior in high school. Um, I went ahead and tested out once I found out I was going to be a dad. So I. Got my GED and started working, but I was partying really hard too. And uh, so, so that had all started. You, you didn't you, your 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 journey into into substance use didn't start at eighteen. No, for already at sixteen, I would say I was a practicing addict. Okay. And then uh, had a baby on the way at eighteen, and that was when I first went to rehab. 
Uh, so when the, her mom was five months along, and I could see I was going downhill quickly, so went to a thirty or twenty-eight day um, inpatient, um, and it was like two hours after I walked out the door, I ended up high. But then I got back in, and you know, I, I may have gotten a five or six weeks, you know, and then and then I was gone again. And and so that was twenty years ago, and and let me so. Gosh, I want to say it was back in the mid '80s that, that I worked in a treatment facility, hmm. and uh, it, it was uh, the Renaissance here in town through a, a community hospital. And I remember back then we didn't have a lot of. There was an aftercare portion of what we did, but really after 28 days, and again, and you, you know, we, you hear a lot about the 28 day program. And it sounds like you know that's the miracle time of 28 days. Yeah. That's what usually what insurance is paid for. Right. And and if someone's not using insurance, that's all that people could afford, cash out of pocket to pay for. It's very expensive. And so you you get this uh, you get this 28 day time period, and that's supposed to be the magic, you know. Rub. So now there are a lot of you know sober living homes. It's right. like the halfway houses in the past were for people you know. Getting out, getting out of prison, right? So now the sober living house, many of them follow up because again, insurance is while it's now mandated that they pay for substance use disorder, the same as any other disease, they don't, mm -hmm. and they still cut it off short. So this at least gives people an opportunity because we realize that it takes months after that just to get just to get your mind right, Definitely. or or in your case. Two days afterwards, it just didn't. Right, it, yeah, and it I wasn't. And I wasn't ready. I mean, it was. Uh, I didn't even know what was wrong with me. <laughs> right. Like, all, I, all I knew was I, I needed to feel high at that time. Yeah. It was. Uh, that was the way it was at the time. Looking back, I know it's different. But. Right. Right. Well, and 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 you and I talked. That's the, the the feeling of. Um, of being able to feel normal or not feeling in pain, regardless of what caused that pain or, or where it comes from, we didn't necessarily know where it came from. Right. And yeah. for me, after years of rehab and counseling, you know, I realized I had PTSD stemming from childhood trauma. Um, but that's not the case for everybody. I mean, everybody who's an addict or an alcoholic, it's a different story. Um, but there's something in us, uh, or at least for me, it was. I I had to be high. It seemed um, when I wasn't, I was in pain. I didn't I didn't even know how, I couldn't describe that pain, but there was something. Um, but it stemmed, yeah, it definitely stemmed from something in my head that I was uh, running from. Sure, it was a secret from myself. <laughs> right, it took a long time for me to realize. Right, well, and. Uh... If, if you started your, you said that uh, your addiction cycle really began in earnest when you were 16, which means you were probably using some time before then. Well, I think my story is unique in that I didn't, I, yeah, it was when I was 16, the first time I got high, like I got high the next day and the next day and the next day and the next day and the next day because I, I couldn't stand to not be high. Like, it, wow. I didn't, like I said, I didn't know that I didn't feel good. I didn't even know that I didn't feel good. I didn't know that. Um, something was wrong, but the, the as soon as I first felt what it felt like to not be sober, then I knew I didn't want to be sober anymore. That's where you wanted to be. Yeah, and it was in, like yeah, it was 
it was a conscious thought. I was like, oh, I'm an addict. <laughs> of course I'm an addict. I want to be high all the time. So, and I was okay with that at the time. I was, I didn't care. And, and so now you're 18, you have a baby on the way and, 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 and you know, care. you, and yeah. you know, you want to be different. Yep. And then I did care because, you know, I didn't want to be a, a terrible father. Right. I wanted to be there. I wanted to be there. So Dustin, why didn't you just stop? Right. <laughs> that was the, the, the big question. Yeah. So, you know, and I, from the outside looking in, it's like, oh, he went to rehab for 28 days. Oh, thank God. He's going to be okay now. You know, and then. I came out and nothing was different. It must have been really hard for my family, you know. Well, and I can say f for for Lynn and I, f for our family, you know, Z Zach had his two-week medical detox the first time. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I remember I remember saying these words to my wife. I was like, well, at least we caught it. We dodged a bullet there. Mm -hmm. I mean, how, how naive yeah, to, to, not, to not understand. To, to not understand or not be more aware of that. And that was still the denial that we were facing, mm. you know, right, right. And then thinking, oh, okay, well, he's fixed now. So, and he wasn't fixed and nor, I, I don't even know if he needed to be fixed in, in, in that way. He needed to be understood, mm. right? And, and so, uh, I think it's common to have several, and, and you mentioned you went through several experiences for several yeah, more years. I think that's one of the things that made it really hard for for my family uh, to ever to 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 forgive me, you know, or or accept me back or whatever, because there were so many times that they thought that I was okay, that I was better, and then the next thing I they knew I was gone, you know. Because that, that was my MO, is I, would, I would just disappear, you know, uh, and I, nobody would know where I was. Um, so that was really hard for everyone. Well, and, and again, I think that's, I think that's so common because we believe, we believe that the drugs are the problem. So... If we take the drugs away, there's no problem. So if the the user is in jail, in a place, and we know they can get drugs in jail, but if if but if they're there and they can clean up and they're sober there, or if they're in a if if they're in a treatment program and they're not getting drugs, then they're okay there. But then as soon as they leave that protective environment, their friends are the same. The problems are the same. The issues are the same. Nothing else has, nothing else has changed. We haven't, uh, we haven't helped that 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 young person f figure out a new way of, of 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 living. Haven't helped them to understand why they, why why they felt better when they were using as opposed to when they weren't using. Yeah, I think for me that was the the big thing is realizing I had, a, I had a PTSD. I mean, I I'd have somebody tell me like, oh, and, and then the, the, as time went on and the more I was in counseling and talked about it, it's like, I realized there were some really big things that I kept locked up in my head and I didn't even know that they were there until I started to talk about it. And it was like, oh, now I know what felt wrong. You know, there was something in there that was, was wrong, you know? Um, and it wasn't until I talked about it and talked about it and like it became just this thing that happened instead of this 
demon in my head, you know, which is almost what it feels like because, you know, I, I hadn't been able to express, you know, something that happened when I'm like four years old and I didn't know how to process it in my mind or, or express to anybody what happened. Um, so somehow I locked it away. It was really a strange experience for it to open back up and me to remember all of these things. Wow. So, so through through your counseling experiences, you, you remembered stuff that that weren't in the wasn't in the front of your mind. All you knew is you felt better when you used. Every time you used, you weren't thinking, "I'm covering up what happened to me when I was a kid." Never thought of that ever. Never thought of that. Uh, yeah, I did not know that. That's because I knew that I felt bad. I knew that I didn't know that I felt bad until the first time I got high and it like fixed me. All of a sudden, all of a sudden I felt great. And then when I wasn't high anymore, I was like, okay, this is bad, you know. <laughs> and I didn't, I didn't have any conscious part of me that knew why, you know, until I was in my mid twenties, and uh, uh, it wasn't actually in counseling when I first talked about it. I was in a blackout. Somebody told me what I said, and then that triggered the memory. Wow. So 18, you have your first, I'm just kind of creating a timeline here. You have your first experience uh, in, in a 28 day program and you get back out. And now somewhere down the road, several years later, it begins to open up. So how many other experiences did you have fi finding your in, in, in treatment experiences or whatever so, that were that, that most people, let me say this, it, I think it's a, it's a common thought for parents. And in the past, we would say, well, that was a failed rehab. Mm. Okay, so. If, so how many, and I'm putting this in air quotes because no, uh, people okay. can't see, how many failed experiences did you have uh, uh, on your road to sobriety? So my way of looking at treatment has changed over the years. And I, I see treatment or rehab is like step one work. It's all step one work. And I'm referring to the 12 steps. So you pretty much are just learning that you're an addict or an alcoholic and that you can't do it on your own. So you get that drilled into your head and then you leave. And if you're not in some sort of other support group like AA or NA or CR or these other groups, um, all you know is you can't do it on your own and now you're on your own. Um, so I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of, it's kind of like a recipe for yeah, failure. Yeah, it's like I have to go back to rehab, you know, <laughs> but no, for, for, for me though, you know, um, it was the God thing, you know, rehab teaches you can't do it on your own. And then you go to AA and they tell you, you got to pray. And I wasn't ready for that because I had this other childhood stuff maybe. <laughs> um, and uh, I had a lot of anger and, and it wasn't until like I was like I had to beat myself into submission that I was willing to like um, maybe take some suggestions and, and uh, find some sort of of a higher power of my own understanding as they say um, and then really work on myself with through the through the 12 steps like I had a really good sponsor took me through the 12 steps so I would say all the times I went to rehab, I never had recovery. It wasn't until I was in my 30s that I actually worked the 12 steps. And then I finally got some recovery. Um, before that, it was only step one work, you know. Um, and step one is, it's like the first step, but it's not going to keep you sober, obviously. Right. Um, so for me, yeah, I had to, uh, 
to get past that just doing step one. <laughs> um, and I feel like in rehab and most of the counseling that we get, it's, it's a lot of step one. Um, and it's inside these other groups like AA or NA uh, that we can do the work that actually gets us sober. So for me, I had to, you know, going through the, the, the fourth step, fourth, fourth and fifth step, um, learning about, or like the inventory, it's hard to get into. It's probably a lot of detail there. But yeah, after I did my fifth step, a real fifth step, that's the first time that the mental obsession to be high was gone. So so tell people that, that aren't familiar with the steps, what, what is the, the, the fifth step? How so, that... so the fourth step would be you write out this long inventory. And there's, there's different ways to do the inventory depending on what program you're in. But, um, you know, you do this inventory where you're looking at all the resentments that you have, whatever they are, and you're writing them out and you, you got to figure out uh, different aspects of it. One of the big parts is like, what's your part that you played in it? And then, of course, you got to look at all the things you've done wrong also, figure out maybe why you did these things, what was your motivation, that kind of stuff. Uh, and there's different things in the inventory. But then you get to do this with a sponsor. And if you have a good sponsor, they know how to take your inventory. Um, so the fifth step, you talk about it. So I went through all of this stuff. It took me like three days. Uh, we were work on it for a couple hours a day. Um, but after I got all of that out and, uh, you know, you, you, my sponsor was able to highlight some of the common denominators as far as like what would be my character defects, um, which adds to these resentments and my behavior, my bad behavior. Um, so then you say a little prayer and then um, there were the step six and seven would follow that. But the fifth step is mainly getting everything out to somebody, telling them those things that have happened to you or the things that you've done, um, dealing with the resentments and shame. I would say that's the biggest thing is like resentment and shame are really uh, keep us high. <laughs> keep it, us is, it, is, it safe, is it safe to say that this was the first time in your life that you had looked oh, yes. deeply at these things. Cause I can only, again, I'm, 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 I'm imagining from someone who has dealt with, uh, uh, uh negative feelings mm -hmm. or anything negative their whole life by just using, mm -hmm. cause then I don't have to feel bad anymore. Right. It covers it up. Right. And so now all of a sudden, uh, you're in the fourth step or fifth step where you're writing down everything bad that you can think about. Yeah. And that's the thing. It is hard. Uh, and that's what, because now your, your immediate go-to before would have been, Oh, I'm feeling bad. Hey, I, I know how to fix that. And I had an experience where I was trying to get sober or I was sober somewhat, maybe a, a few weeks and I had a sponsor uh, and I started working steps with him and I got to the fourth step and I wrote down, the stuff that happened when I was four and I talked to my, my, my sponsor about it and he was young, you know, and he didn't have a lot of sobriety and he said, you know, you need counseling for that. And like, which is right. He was right. But like, I just felt like embarrassed and ashamed and like I went back out drinking. I never called him again. And the really sad part of that story is he ended up, uh, uh, he ended up he ended up committing suicide like while I was good away you know oh. like, so I then I felt like responsible for his death and I mean I, I wasn't it's silly but I, that's like another part of my story I guess and that kept me from wanting to get a sponsor 
because I had let this guy down by like deserting him, even though he was my sponsor. It sounds odd, but then he went through he went through some stuff, and I wasn't there for him. You know? Right, so, right. Um, but but the reason I I had gone back out that time was because, well, I, I should have. Um, I don't know. That was that was just the way it was meant to go down, I guess. Honestly, I wasn't ready to to face it. I tried, but I wasn't ready to talk about it with anybody because when I did, it was there was there was too much shame and and uh, yeah. Well, and and uh, I got to think again. This is this is uh, this is all part of uh, it in our foundation when we talk about ending the stigma of addiction. This is all part of that. Of that of that stigma we feel bad about things that we can't control huh. you couldn't control what happened to you as a kid right right and and now you're doing your best to to work through some of these mm-hmm. right and then you can't control what your spot what ends up happening to your sponsor right, right? As, as you're on your own path of growth or, or maturity uh, uh, again, it seems to me more and more stories, Dustin, like I, I, I hear like yours, it's amazing to me that anyone makes it through the way that the system is set up that makes it makes it successfully to a path of sobriety. Yeah. You know what I mean? There's like miracles. So, so, yeah. Sure. Yeah. So many, so many roadblocks that, that come up there. And, and so, but, but you did. So, so talk some more about, cause, cause so, things are getting more positive. Right. And, and it was, it was, a, um, it was about two years after, uh, that attempt that I did actually, I ended up in a, a rehab up in the Barrett's, the, the Diablo Valley Ranch. We'll give a shout out to them. Uh, it was, it was great there cause they bring AA meetings into the ranch. Um, and I got a sponsor from one of those meetings and, uh, and the thing that was different about me was, um, you know, I, I I'd had enough, I guess, and I was desperate. I had gone to a funeral. A friend of mine had OD'd on Oxycontin, and there was nobody at his funeral except for his ex-wife and his kids. Uh-huh. Like, uh, there was two, me and another buddy of his from, from high school, and then that was it. It was a really sad um, funeral. And, and the whole time we were there, I saw myself sitting in the casket and my ex-wife and my kids there by themselves. And, uh, and it, it, it changed the way I was thinking. And I really surrendered, I'd say, I went ahead and went out to Diablo Valley Ranch and, um, it took me three weeks to write out my fourth step. And that was when I did my fifth step with my sponsor's name was Gary. And so Gary and I did the fifth step. It took like three days to do the fifth step. And I can remember it was probably that same day, like uh, we went out on like a work crew, you know, I was helping set up for this thing as part of the, what the, we did at the ranch. And I was sitting in this van and there was a liquor store across the street. And I was just blown away that there was nothing in me that wanted to go get a bottle. I mean, like, I didn't have the option if I wanted to stay at the ranch to go get a bottle, but that wouldn't have stopped me before from at least wanting to get a bottle. Right, right. And at that moment, I realized that my obsession was gone, and uh, I had never experienced that ever in my adult life. So I was probably um, 35. Wow. No, I don't think that there was ever a moment in my adult life where I wasn't feeling some sort of an obsession to get high. 
uh, of all the times I've gotten in rehab and, um, were, you know, yeah, I never could say that that obsession was gone. And when people talked about the obsession being lifted, because that's one of the ways they word it, it's like when you get to a certain point, the obsession has been lifted. Uh, you can believe that's by God or, or depending on how you're working your program, I guess. I guess it's God, you know. Sure, <laughs> God's sure. God's lifted the obsession. We'll just say it like that. Um, I would make me mad because it made me realize that I was worse than everybody else because that never happened for me. But then when I actually put in the work, because I, I was sur I surrendered because I, I didn't want um, I didn't want to die and I didn't want my kids to be fatherless you know um, when I finally put on the, put in the work the obsession was lifted and it was like it, it was like chains like I'd had these chains my whole life and all of a sudden they were gone. Wow, so so again it it seems like that that was like a, a fifteen year seventeen yeah. year process yeah process for you. Uh, and I'd like to say, like, maybe there's something somebody could have said to me before that, that could have made a difference. But I don't know. I don't know. I know that, that for me, that's that's how it went down. And then and ever since that day where I could say my obsession was lifted, it's like I've been different. And then, you know, I continued to work through the steps. A big one is step nine, and that's when you get to start making amends, um, which is so healing. It's crazy. It's crazy. Uh, it sounds... A daunting at first, but uh, uh, it's a pretty amazing step. They, that's when the promises kick in. If you're if you're into the, what's in the big book, uh, there's these promises uh, that start kicking in at step nine. So we were we were talking earlier, and and uh, and again, none of this story had had we talked about. Yeah, you know, you, you you said that uh, there was something very special that happened. Though yeah. for for you uh, along that path, that was also so instrumental, and and I I don't want that to to go unsaid here You're today. Right. You're, well, we had talked about the stigma of addiction, and um, you know I'm coming from a very conservative religious family, so it's uh, hard for them to not want to approach it with a tough love standpoint. Um, so I, I had family members who. You know, it was instinctual for them to treat me poorly if they thought I was drinking. Like, and it felt really bad. It would make me feel, you know, bad or whatever, obviously. I already felt bad about, my, bad about myself. Uh, and then it would feel like some people just didn't want me around, which I don't blame them, looking back. But still, I have one daughter who was like, she said to me, like, Dad, I don't care if you're drinking. I just want to see you. I just want to be around you, you know. And... Um, and she was the only one. I mean, everybody wanted to be around me, but they didn't want to see me drinking. I don't want to talk bad about everybody else. That's not what it's about. But uh, this this one, my daughter, um, um, she was still able to love me. And I think it's because she had gone through some counseling herself. And she wasn't going to try to make me feel bad. All she wanted was to love me, you know, and she told me that. She said, I don't care. I just, you know, I want to see you. I want to be around you. I love you, you know. And it, there was no, uh... anyway, that, that I think might have saved my life. Um, because, uh, you know, it was, it was shortly, and it really changed the way I felt about myself, I think. Maybe it gave me a chance to love myself. I don't know. Uh, 
as I've, as I've heard your story, Dustin, I realize you had this 15 year journey, uh, through rehabs, uh, through, through growth and through maturity. I, I have to believe that anyone going through, cause there are people that doesn't take 15 years. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Right. A lot of people, they get sober in their first shot and they, a, cause they do, they do what I did, but it took me 15 years to do that. Right. And, and, you know, um, you know, I, 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 I was, when I, when I, we were talking earlier and I heard your story, I thought, I'm thinking, I'm thinking if there were more people in our lives that would just tell us that they love us, mm-hmm. how, how, how important that, 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 that message is even for the alcoholic, even for the addict, even, uh, while, while we're struggling at the point that you were 18 years old and you went and you sought out your first rehab, you knew you wanted to change, but, but maybe you thought you were unlovable to yourself. Certainly you were being told that by many other people and, and your actions prove that, right. That you were unlovable. Right. right? So, I mean, it's, it's just over and over. So, uh, but, but, but I'm, I'm just thinking that the more that we're, uh, in the lives of people and we can still share love with them, maybe even when they're the most unlovable, mm-hmm. what an impact that can have. And you and I also discussed, regardless of, of what level of belief you know, I have today or you have today, the, the, the story of the church and the story of, of grace and the grace that, that, that God shows us. And that's always shown as the story goes, when we are the most unlovable and, and how that is. And, and, uh, and, and again, it's just, it's just not, it's not lost on me. Um, <laughs> gosh, if, you know, if I had been able to show Zach to a point where, uh, when he thought I hated him because I was putting him in rehabs and I was taking things away and I was being harder on him. And if somehow, if somehow I could have continued to show him love and and I'm not saying that that would have made, uh, well, I I know that, that his life had begun to get better. He had begun to make some positive changes. Right. Right. So, so, but, but if, if I had been able to, to have really pushed out, that that message, if that had been the strongest message, as opposed to the strongest message of, oh, you relapsed again, you're a failure. Because I'm sure that's the message that came across, because that's when... That's the one I would get. I mean, it's the instinctual. And it's, in, and it's, it's part of the, it's, it's part of how we've been trained. Right. Right. So... But uh, it is counterproductive. It's, right. And so when I, when I, when you were telling me earlier about your daughter, who is able to have that kind of insight and show you that kind of love. And it sounds like that made a difference for you. Yeah, it did. And it's, yeah, I can definitely hang a pretty big part of my sobriety on that. That's, uh, that's, that's, that's incredible. Uh, so I'm Zach's dad. 
Well, uh, again, it's 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 hard for me when when I when I hear when I, when I hear uh, stories like that, uh, and and I see the kind of uh, I, I see the the uh, the kind of person that you are today, the kind of person I met two years ago. I would have never guessed. Thanks. I right that that that, <laughs> that that was your that that was your history. Yeah, a lot of people say that. I, I appreciate that. Right. That I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> yeah, that that was, you know, not even there, and and I think that that's the irony too. Is that, uh, is that. Most people, and the thing that I that that may be so uh, hard for families to see in their children or in their loved ones, is that the person that they've become in their addiction isn't even close to the person that they were before. Right. Right. And then, you know, when I have the joy of seeing people that, you know, that are introduced to me and they tell me their story and that's not even the person that comes close to the person that I see, that I see then. And so, so really what I'm beginning to understand about people with substance use disorder is that, they're still that person, they are. and that's that's what I believe as a as a culture and a society that we need to begin to see, in in our people, our loved ones, that that suffer from addiction, that they're still that person that we loved before, and they can be that person, they can be that person again, and and really our job is to is to give them love. Our job is to help them. Right. Yeah, and 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 your daughter was able to do that. Yeah, was able to do that for you. I think you, yeah. I'll go back and say like um, I do think it's because she had gotten counseling, and and through that counseling, they helped her to see things differently, where she didn't see me as I was drinking to hurt her. Maybe I don't know how. Uh, I, I um, she just saw me as her dad as. As, yeah, she didn't look at me and see me as this failed failure drunk. Um, she saw me as her dad. She wanted to spend time with me. Um, and I think, it, it, again, just because of the counseling, um, I have, you know, again, nothing bad against other family members, but no, like nobody else was really getting counseling. They all right. were reacting very instinctually where they wanted to cover up their pain with anger toward me, um, which made sense for them at the time but like yeah it's counterproductive i guess uh, yeah where i've already got enough shame us addicts we we beat ourselves up really bad yeah um, yes but it's instinctually to want to do that you know that's uh well again i'm 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 just so thrilled that you're that you're where you're at today and and uh dustin i know that your story today has incredible potential too to reach somebody else who may find themselves in a very similar, similar situation. And so I, I, every guest that I have, I always, uh, as we wrap up today, I want to give you the option to, to talk to families out there. If there's, if there's one message that you want to leave with them today, what, what would that, what would that be? Um, well, anybody who's dealing with addiction, don't give up. Um, it seems uh, impossible to overcome when you're in the middle of it, but don't give up. Tomorrow's a new day. 
Um, and you can do it. You can do it. Anybody who's dealing with addiction in their family, uh, just love them. Um, that doesn't mean you have to enable it, but you can still love them. You can love them as much as you want to. You don't have to hold back your love. Because um, that's the thing. I know like I have family members that would hold back their love. And, and I had one who didn't. So don't hold back your love. You don't, feel, don't feel like you have to hold back your love. That's awesome. all. Awesome. Brother, thank you so much for uh, joining today. I, I, again, it's it's been such a pleasure, and thank you for sharing uh, today. Thanks for having me. Today, go find someone in your family. Tell them that you love them. This is Zach's dad. This has been an episode of Zach's Life. Thank you so much for listening. For more info on our foundation and for addiction resources, visit ZacharyHortonFoundation.org or check us out on Facebook and Instagram. If you have a story to tell and want to be a guest on our podcast, email me directly at jim at zacharyhortonfoundation.org.